But a lot of people are not aware that digital content are more at risk of being lost. How come? Yeah, because it requires a lot more resources and maintenance to preserve digital objects. You require a, a different set of infrastructure to be able to house digital content. So I could say, put a film on a shelf in a climate-controlled repository and it could last me more than a century. If it's stored properly, it's maintained well enough. If I needed to, say, restore the film, you know, I could, at its worst, I could perhaps still salvage uh, a few seconds or even a few frames from the film. But with any digital object, any loss is instantaneous. You're listening to BiblioAsia Plus, a podcast produced by the National Library of Singapore. At BiblioAsia, we tell stories about Singapore's past, some familiar, others forgotten, all fascinating. The Teenage Textbook movie came out in 1998. At the time, it was just considered a funny movie. Today, however, people think it's a classic, an example of the renaissance of Singapore cinema and worthy of restoration. But the film, however, wasn't stored in particularly ideal conditions, and as a result, restoring it wasn't easy. I'm Jimmy Yap, and with me in the studio is Chu Ti Pao. He's been a film archivist with the Asian Film Archive since 2009, and he's here to tell us all about the challenges he faced while restoring the teenage textbook movie and indeed other movies. Hi, Tipao. Welcome to BiblioAsia Plus. Before we start all this, let me play a small snippet and see whether you recognize it. Some people say growing up is hard. Okay, that's rubbish. Anyone can grow up. Well, except DJs. The problem is teenhood. That's the time between 13 and 19 where everything is a mess. That, of course, was the famous introduction to the Teenage Textbook movie. Tell me about the, the challenges of the of restoring the Teenage Textbook movie. So, an interesting fact uh, for the Teenage Textbook movie is that um, the original film elements, which is the picture and the sound negative, uh, they weren't in the Asia Film Archive collection in the first place. Oh, okay, where were so, they? Uh, so we, we originally uh, acquired a 35mm exhibition print, uh, which is the uh, release print that they circulate with, you know, throughout the cineplexes. The, okay. the, the copy that they use for the cinemas. Uh, we acquired that several years ago before we actually embarked on the restoration of the film. Uh, so when we decided that, you know, in 2018 that we wanted to restore this film, uh, we, we we spent some time actually trying to track down and trying to contact the producer of the film uh, okay, at that let, time. Let me stop you there. I mean, why can't you restore it from the exhibition print? Yeah, so the thing is with every film restoration, before we embark on every film restoration, we always want to make sure that we have the best available elements. I mean, we wouldn't uh, settle on using the exhibition print usually because it's it's heavily it's been heavily utilized. Ah, you know, see, when it goes through the projector, it, it experiences wear and tear. Uh, it's not always the best element, but sometimes it is the 
only element that we could use. Uh, but before we embark on every restoration, we always want to make sure that we do some investigation and, and try and find out whether are there better elements out there. So we all wish to work with would be the original negatives because they would contain the, the greatest details. Uh, you know, they're the most pristine, they're the most original there would still be somewhere and tear, you know, depending on how it's been handled or how it's been stored. But of course, we wanted to investigate and track that before we started the restoration. So we managed to contact the producer of the film, who at that time then informed us, oh, it's in a warehouse in like Malaysia. I think it was Penang at that time. It actually took us quite a bit of coordination to actually transport the prints back to Singapore, uh, you know, trying to figure out what, he has available. Why was that hard? I mean, it sounds like it's quite straightforward. Well, sometimes, you know, like trying to coordinate the shipment and you have to make sure the person's there. So at that time, he was in Singapore. So no one could attend to like packing the materials, for example. It took a couple of weeks just to sort of coordinate that. And when we received the items uh, and then we started to unwind some of them to take a look. Uh, so we realized that I think the vinegar syndrome, which is a very common condition because of the chemical properties of how the film was produced, you know, it, it starts to deteriorate. And has uh, this vinegar-like smell, right? Exactly. And this is largely, or main, I guess, mainly due to the prolonged storage uh, in a highly warm and humid environment. Mm, mm. Uh, which is which was evident uh, because when we started unwinding the reels and it turns out that the first several meters of the films were sticky and the images were like stuck to each other and we knew that oh this is because you know exactly like what he said it's been stored uh, in the warehouse and, like, melting. Sort of, and yeah in a way just left unattended and for a film that's you know just maybe a little over 20 years old at that time it was quite surprising but also not too surprising given you know after we know how you know where it was stored as well but thankfully uh, I mean that the condition of the film wasn't too critical and we were able to still proceed with the restoration but imagine if we had not initiated you know I think the project or we if we had waited longer then you know the deterioration would have just set in even more and give it another five years what could have happened I mean yeah we don't know how long the film was stored in that storage facility I mean more could come out like right. within two weeks if it's like stored in a very humid oh. condition so yeah it's it's really common especially in our region so vinegar syndrome of course is really quite a, a very common condition that would cause the film to shrink uh, to become warped and sometimes it will make the film brittle uh, and of course sometimes it, it, the worst case scenario is it would result in like a complete loss of image and, and, and sound but what's the hardest thing about the restoration process I think the hardest process is probably uh, identifying the right elements right oh. so you know, if I, I guess in the case of teenage textbook, if we had proceeded to do the restoration from the thirty-five mm release print, you know the results would be very different. 
than using the negatives because of the way the film was produced uh, onto an exhibition print and you would have uh, experienced a lot of wear and tear and obviously it also would result in a lot more uh, intensive labour work like even additional hours of digital restoration that that wouldn't make sense. So you always want to like make sure you have the right elements. I'd like to talk to you about um, the, the movie They Call Her Cleopatra Wong, right? Now it's mm-hmm. it's a movie that, you know, even Quentin Tarantino has, has cited as being hugely influential. Um, and the AFA also uh, was involved in, in the restoration of this movie. And actually, this is a much older movie. Right? I can't remember when it was, when it was originally 1978. shot. 1978. Yeah, they call it and so Cleopatra. I'm sure it was, it was probably harder to restore the color Cleopatra Wong compared to, say, the teenage textbook. Yes, definitely. Um, but what's interesting about this film is that for the longest time, we thought we wouldn't be able to locate any any film elements. And so in, in the first place, all we had of the film, what we knew existed were just digibeta tapes, which is, which is videotapes. Oh, okay. From what we knew um, from the owners that the original negatives and whatever film elements they had before were discarded because they were far too, you know, decayed, uh, you know, unsalvageable. And so for a long time, we thought, you know, there was, we had very little chance of seeing this film, say, on a big screen made for, you know, intended audiences. And then after some years have passed, it, and it dawned upon us the fact that the film actually traveled to different parts of the world, you know, like the Middle East to North America and Europe. They could be foreign copies, you know, for the foreign market. Oh, right. Uh, like, okay. you know, it may not be like the original kind of en- English version of the film that we know of. Uh, so we decided to do like a, a call because. I mean, the Asian Film Archive is also part of this network uh, of Association of Archives, which has members all around the world and and a large number of them from Europe. They actually preserve a film from Southeast Asia that was like maybe dubbed in their native language. They told us, oh, I have an Italian print, or I have a German print. I have a print, but with like Danish subtitles. That's so cool. Yeah, That's so amazing. we reached out to them and then understand what are the conditions of these elements you're having. We, we did some investigation and then in the end we decided, okay, that's, they're not all in, in the right version, right? Which is like the original English version. Right. Okay. So in the end, we decided to use um, the 35 millimeter print uh, which is dubbed in German. So you have German titles and all, uh, and Cleopatra Wong is speaking in German. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then you have the 60 millimeter print in, in English, but with like Danish subtitles throughout the film. So all their dialogue is like with Danish subs. Uh, so we had to like, oh, I think this is a kind of a nice combination like we could try and see if this would work I think it was a little bit of a gamble as well we knew what we were getting ourselves into uh, and we know that it's going to be like putting together a jigsaw right putting different pieces from different sources and and trying to fit in to to make a, a complete image there were of course some challenges because the image quality the clarity the definition of the image actually you know between a 16mm and 35 actually differs quite a bit uh, and of course, 
they ha- they they've experienced different kinds of deterioration already. So obviously the thirty five millimeters, you know, it's generally magenta looking. So it's like leaving a lot of the reds. Uh, whereas the sixty millimeter had the colors are intact, but it does not have the same definition. The lines are not as sharp. It contain a lot more uh, scratches and like artifacts on the 60mm that's more apparent on the print itself. So we work very closely with those home archives. With the combined sort of elements, we discussed with uh, the restorer on how to best go about it. And so they did this comparison with the scanned images and they sort of come up with a proposal. Okay, I think we can use uh, the image source from the 35mm and then using the soundtrack from the 16mm. Ultimately, it, we were so fortunate to be able to see the, the film on the big screen than on video. Because back then, when we were when we showed the film on video, for example, or even on DVD, uh, the image was cropped. That's how the video format is. Like, it, it crops the image, and then... Uh, so the film was supposed to be, like, widescreen. And so you, there's a lot of details that we discovered after having looked at the film in, on the big screen. Like, for example, the character on video, she's, like, completely cut off. Oh, wow. Yeah, but then on the big screen, you see there's this action going on at the corners. I must say it was really quite touching to be able to see that. And I think also for, you know, the actress Marie Lee as well to be able to witness that. I, I have to say, it makes me want to go watch it again. So you were personally involved in restoring a classic P. Ramli movie, um, the Siniman Bujang Lapo. Uh, and it was a very interesting, but a very, very sad case as well. Right? So tell us a little bit more about what, what happened. Yeah, um, I mean, Siniman Bujang Lapo was such a iconic film that I wish we, we, we had a chance to restore. But unfortunately, it couldn't be restored. The print has deteriorated to a point where most of the images uh, were gone. I recall that there were a total of seven reels. Uh, from the film. So each reel is like maybe about 10, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, The first six reels were completely unsalvageable. Out of the seven reels, uh, only the last reel can be digitized. Restoration is completely out of the question at that time. And the only thing that they were able to salvage is the last reel, which is the last seven or eight minutes of the film, which is really quite sad. I mean, the film is widely available and, uh, you know, on DVD and, and of course, on, on video. Uh, What's the it, difference there? What, what, what are we losing? Yeah, I mean, we, we are losing the greatest details the, in, and information uh, on the film, you know, how the film was intended to be seen on the big screen, for example. Uh, I mean, obviously, the video format is, you know, the definition and clarity is much lower than film. So film contain much more image information. So the other film that start Pyramid that we restored was Patahati, which we actually did in 2015, I think as part of the SG50 uh, celebrations, uh, which we showed the film at Capitol. That was a really interesting case as well for us because what's left of the film is a 16 millimeter print that we acquired the first few minutes of the film were missing it didn't have like the opening titles and all like that so we only managed to find that out 
like you know when we started the restorations so the the, the bad thing about restoration is that you wouldn't be able to tell what you're going to get until you the, the thing is digitized and you get to see it um, so we learned that fact and then at least it wasn't too bad uh, they be, we were able to complement it with some restoration notes and uh, we did some investigation and we found okay I, this is how the story went and we sort of included those uh, notes at the beginning of the film just to fill the audience in to I guess the plot itself uh, but it was also very nice uh, I guess to see a young P. Romley I know I think right that he was, was so yeah. young so good looking so thin yeah, that was I think one of his early you know leading roles in the way when he Very first started looking. out yeah. yeah what what's the most challenging film restoration that you've ever been involved in mm, I think the most challenging restoration that I've been involved in would have to be Bambaru Avid uh, which is the Sri Lankan film that we restored in um 2019. Why was that yeah. the most challenging? So, I mean, that was an interesting uh, event because we came across the reels uh, of the 35, the 35 millimeter reels in Singapore, actually. So it was, it's been stored at a stairwell with with another institution who, who wasn't able to render any care for the films. And, and that's when we found, oh, the, the films actually have deteriorated uh, greatly and uh, so there were a total of three films uh, and we found out that oh, they were all they were all made by this Sri Lankan director called uh, Damasana Pati Raja who's considered you know uh, 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 quite a visionary director um, of you know Sri Lankan cinema and then out of the three titles of course um, uh, Bambaru Avid we, we found uh, to be suitable you know, for, for any kind of work to be done. We were contemplating, oh, maybe we could, like, digitize it and take a look and, and see what it is. So, it, and then in the meantime, also try and find out uh, and try to read up a little bit about uh, Pati Raja's works as well. Uh, and that's how, I, I think that's how we, we come to understand uh, the, the, the material that we're working with, you know, what kind of director he is. Yeah, so managed to find like a bootleg copy online and watch the film and discovered oh you know this is really an interesting film and I watched it without subtitles <laughs> at that time actually but it was still visually arresting you know for me and it raises um, so many questions and it was intriguing for me and, and true enough I think when we decided to embark on it uh, we knew that um, you know it was such a worthy film for us to work with the situation with the film uh, reels is that it's quite deteriorated, so uh, we couldn't handle uh, on our own at that time. We couldn't unwind them uh, totally. Uh, but it was something that we knew the restoration laboratories would be able to work with this. They gave us the support and they gave us the blessing for us to do the work and we went into it without knowing what Anything. we're gonna get, yeah. you know, <laughs> how's it gonna look, and and so on. So in a way, it was challenging, but it's also, I guess, the the most fulfilling because it was, I think, it was successfully restored. Even though there are still issues that current uh, digital restoration technologies would not be able to alleviate, but it was still something that was really touching. I think to be able to witness again on the big screen. So it was actually selected for uh, Cannes Film Festival that year. I mean, 
but it was 2020. Huh. <laughs> yeah, the festival also got like cancelled, but it was still like part of this official selection of Khan Classics, which is pretty monumental, I think, for the Asian Film Archive and also I think for Sri Lankan cinema. I remember people were were leaving comments on social media, like the, how proud they were of the film and a lot of Sri Lankans actually remember the film. Uh, and they were very proud of the fact that, you know, it was it selected for, for Khan Classics. People were really taken uh, with the film. They've commented that they've never seen the film in, you know, in such light. You know, I think people remembered the film, but they didn't remember it being so clear or like so with such clarity or with such definition. And I, I, those were like some of the, the, the words I've heard back from the son of Paji Raja himself. That's fantastic. And I guess to say it really affirms that uh, these films like stood the test of time and, you know, they remain uh, relevant. You know, they remain, you know, such an important part of, um, you know, the people's lives. One of the, the perks of your job is, is that you get to go to international film festival. I mean, unfortunately, you didn't go to Cannes, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you did go to the, uh, the Venice Film Festival yes. uh, in 2017. Tell me about that. I mean, that was, there's an interesting story behind that, isn't it? You know, that's not the truth. I don't think the perks come with the job at all. And it was actually my first time attending a major festival like Venice. Tell us a little, I mean, you yeah. mentioned about this in your BBH article, but yeah. what, what, what brought you to Venice? So, uh, in 2017, we completed the restoration of the first Filipino title that the AFA uh, restored, which was Batch 81, uh, directed by Mike DeLeon in 1982. It was a really fulfilling restoration for me as well, because we don't always get the chance to work with living directors. The older the film you work with, more likely it's the be more a likely, classic. you know, there's no one uh, uh, available right. to kind of right. supervise or even to be able to tell you what you're doing is fine, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we are very fortunate that uh, uh, Mike DeLeon, uh, the director, uh, is available and he's so willing to work with us and to work with the restoration laboratory as well. He really dedicated himself uh, in, in making sure that it, the, the restoration. Uh, is successful and his vision is, you know, accurately uh, represented in, in a sense and we're very, very, very fortunate for that. In a way, he kind of takes like half of our work, you know, in a way, he's just, because he, he was able to like, okay, this is fine, you know, it doesn't require us to, to like decide, okay, this is this is the way. Because he's the director, He's, he's the right? director, you know, right. so he's like, okay, this is fine and like, you know, I think this can be better and then so it's, there's this uh, direct sort of communication between him uh, with and the restoration lab we've come to the end of the hard questions uh, I like to call it and we come to the, the, the easier questions uh, that are less about film restoration and more about you you know so you know, what was the film that, that got away you know when we restored they called Cleopatra Wong uh, we were actually searching for the sequels, the loose sequels that came out of the character, right? We, there's two films, which is Dynamite Johnson and then there's Devil's Angels. We were very close to locating elements of the film that we could, you know, do all three of the films together. But unfortunately, we still are unable to locate 
like the suitable elements for for those two films. I'm so eager to look for those two films. But just missing that uh, the exact kind of elements that we need. Okay, I I, I, I wish you good luck in finding that. Thank you. Um, what's a common misconception that people have about uh, film restoration? Yeah, I think. One of the biggest misconceptions is that restoration is about enhancing the image, uh, which is not true. Restoration is really to, you know, bring bring the film back to as close as it's intended to look when it was f- first made for its intended audience. It's not supposed to enhance anything, alter anything, although it's been used to sort of alter, make some alterations and, and, and so on. Uh, but our, our, of course our goal is, is not to do that. Um, and also the, the thing about restoration is that it does not equate to preservation. It's just a means uh, to an end for us to be able to continue preserving those items. As we know in times like this where we see a, a lot of born digital films being made, but a lot of people are not aware that digital content are more at risk of being lost. How come? Yeah, because it requires a lot more resources and maintenance to preserve digital objects. You require a a different set of infrastructure to be able to house digital content. So I could, say, put a film on a shelf in a climate-controlled repository and it could last me more than a century. It's stored properly, it's maintained well enough. If I needed to, say, restore the film, you know, I could, at its worst, I could perhaps still salvage uh, a few seconds or even a few frames from the film. But with any digital object, any loss is instantaneous. So you don't just lose a few frames from like a digital file, you lose the whole thing. And you know, it's obviously much difficult to recover uh, those materials. In fact, it costs archives like several times, you know, for the same film, to preserve the same film in, in an analog versus a digital format, because it requires uh, that amount of resources for maintenance and all. A lot of people tend to um, think that, or just because the film is restored, it's preserved. But we've also encountered uh, cases where the film is restored, but remain uh, inaccessible because nobody kept the digital restored assets properly. So it ends up that even if the film is restored, it's lost again. Oh <laughs> no my way. goodness. So it's really quite worrisome. People need to just know that you know, just because it's on Netflix or anything doesn't mean it's like preserved. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Complete a sentence. Films are? Films are... I think films are our collective family albums, which is why we need to keep them alive. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Tipal, thank you very much for joining us on BiblioAsia Plus. He's written three articles in BiblioAsia, and you can find all these articles on biblioasia.nlb.gov.sg. Tipal, once again, thank you very much, and um, I hope you find the rest of those reels for Dynamite Johnson. Thank you, Jimmy. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to this podcast and the BiblioAsia newsletter. Thanks for joining us on Biblia Asia Plus.